All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Cyber Matters, powered by the Kasuf Podcast Network. I'm your host, Russ Dorsey, a principal and CIO here at Kasuf and Company here in Birmingham. Uh, cyber Matters is a, a, a show where we talk about the cyber that it matters, both uh, to our, our clients and, and their businesses and families. Uh, it's more about the human side of cyber, about how we're using it to enrich our lives and businesses, but also how we're protecting ourselves in this ever-changing world. Um, we're kind of doing a, a summer special uh, here because it's uh, you know it's time everybody's on vacation and uh, you know post pandemic we're seeing more people traveling so we were thinking about the you know the the, the threats overseas uh, when when you go overseas these are either for a church mission or business trip or family vacation um, so I reached out to uh, to Doug Wilson at Counter Threat Group and Doug I'm gonna go ahead and bring you on here while I I, I do the rest of this intro. Uh, but, uh, you know, to, to talk more about, uh, in, in a broader sense, uh, going overseas, and there's, there's a cyber component to that, but there's also the physical component. So just as a quick unscripted introduction, uh, Doug, I've, I've, uh, we, we met each other back at an active shooter event back, I think, in 2018. So Counter Threat Group helped us with something we did out at the church at Macadory, if right. I remember right. right. Um, you guys are, are heavily involved in that. that I'm going to let you talk about Counter Threat uh, and what you guys are doing. Uh, but, but you specifically, you're a retired lieutenant colonel uh, with the U.S. Air Force and the Air National Guard. Uh, you're an intelligence officer during your career there. And when I read your, your bio at length in, a, uh, in one of our previous things that we did, you were uh, heavily involved in uh, drone operations and, and things like Iraqi freedom and things. So if you want to talk more about your career there, but also with uh, Counter Threat Group and what you're doing, you're the co-founder of Counter Threat Group, and then you're the... Um, assistant Vice President of University Advancement at Sanford. You've been there about 20 years. Correct. So you're keeping yourself quite busy, as most retired people do after the military, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. But uh, but why don't you talk to us just a little bit about uh, about Counter Threat, if you want to, and explain explain your y'all's role in the community, and then we can talk about uh, the international travel. Uh, Thank you, Russ. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity, and I've enjoyed uh, working with you over the past several years on some other projects like this, some other interviews with some people we brought in for uh, some counter-threat group uh, seminars and um, KASUF as well. And I thank KASUF and you all for having me over here to do this today. Um, as you mentioned, I had a, a long military career, about 27 years, um, and then part, a, good, a good portion of that was actually in the reserve component, the Air National Guard. And, I was with the 117th Air Refueling Wing that is a tanker operation, and I was an intelligence officer with them. And so we got involved in most every contingency that went on, um, well, starting with Bosnia, when we converted over to tankers. And anytime there's something going on overseas, they're going to use air refuelers. And so we ended up deploying quite a bit. And so I have I, I developed a significant, significant international travel experience through that. Had a lot of varied roles as my role as an intelligence officer and then got involved in some other things outside of my unit because of that. Um, but through it all, I um, you know, developed a little seminar and session that I started doing for people before Counter Threat Group on international travel safety. Um, we started Counter Threat Group around 2015 through a mutual friend that connected Rick Klepper and me, as I, I know you know Rick, mm -hmm. and um, we started Counter Threat Group as more of a church safety awareness type program because I was involved as a um, uh, on the safety team of a pretty large church here in town and our mutual friend had connected Rick and I because of the fact that I had this background um, and so we started getting into doing assessments for 
uh, houses of worship, a lot of churches, because there was a big concern even in 2015 of church violence, whether it's active shooter, acts of terrorism, whatever it is. The violence among within churches, different incidences that were happening in churches around the country were on the rise at that time and uh, continue to be even more accelerated than they were then. So um, the assessment tool that we used then uh, was a lot of the things that a lot of the concepts that were used militarily when you're looking at, you know, identifying vulnerabilities. So we did the same process through looking at churches and identifying weaknesses where uh, somebody could get in that might be looking to do something bad. You know, what are the protocols, you know, doorways, bushes around windows, just all the different things that most people don't notice that we took a real keen eye at and developed an assessment tool. That's advanced quite a bit to where we are now with that. Uh, But the assessments are kind of the backbone of everything we do. And we have done a lot of those. We've worked with not just churches, but we seem to be doing more outside of the church community, which is really where we need to go. We need to stay with churches, but also extend everything we do to other. We've done law firms. We've done industrial facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done healthcare facilities. Um, we're talking to, we just finished a couple churches. We've done a school, a couple schools, and we're looking at other um, entities now that have contacted us about doing assessments. So that tends to be uh, uh, an in-demand segment, mainly because people are concerned about workplace violence. Yeah. And as a part of what we do with Counter Threat Group, we also partner with some folks, but we also have the international travel safety component because it's the same sort of thing. How do you mitigate bad things happening when you're traveling overseas, just like you would? How do you mitigate a risk in a church or a facility? Um, but we just look at it from a different perspective. And I, I continue with the program that I've done for years uh, as needed and when asked on international travel safety. So that's kind of how we are where we are today. But Counter Threat Group does a whole lot for businesses, churches, organizations that are interested in uh, having a more secure and risk, you know, uh, we identify the risk and reduce the risk of bad things happening in the workplace. We can't eliminate it, but sure. we can significantly reduce it by doing these assessments. And so that's really what we're spending a lot of time on these days. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rewarding work too, I'm, I'm sure, because. And, and certainly when you mentioned the schools, I mean, we, we had that gentleman in here. We did that other segment that had the, the, the door barricade system. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and that was just, just, just powerful stuff. What, what drove him into doing that, his motivation for creating this, this system, but also uh, just seeing how that worked. And what, and what we do find when we're doing assessments is there's so many things that most organizations or churches or whatever it is we're looking at that they're doing that really don't require money to fix. Mm-hmm. It's more procedural type things, it's uh, access control, um, but there are some pretty simple fixes that if people will do, they've just significantly reduced the risk. And uh, some things do in- involve an investment of some sort, but it's something that can be done over time to improve You know what it is we find, so. Yeah. All right, well, to, to, to move to our topic, and like I said, summer travel and overseas travel, I know there's several people here at, uh, at Kasuf that have have, have taken trips uh, overseas um, and you know what 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 is I mean I, I'm not really sure where to move into this you, you have this nicely bulleted out and, and since so we could just go through the points but if you want to start at a 30,000 foot level you yeah know, and and and, and, and let uh, and let's say we can take our time and move into uh, into some of these bullet points and things well I'll start by saying I've been to uh, I think I counted it's 43 44 countries so I've done extensive international travel pre-covid and post-covid I've done a lot um, actually some we uh, went overseas last July about a year ago and um, got to experience getting back overseas for the first time since covid then uh, and then um, I've got a trip coming up at the end of August to Uganda, northern part of Uganda. Wow. And then uh, that's more of a mission-related trip. 
and, and we've got another trip scheduled for uh, next spring. But um, getting back into international travel, and if you've never traveled before, if you have traveled before, um, everybody, you know, is ready to get back out and resume life since, you know, this COVID thing that's been gone three years ago now, hard to believe. But um, one of the biggest things I was listening to today, just right off the bat, that I think everybody needs to be aware of is the passport is your ticket that gets you into the country and it gets you out of the country, gets you back home. Um, the most important thing for anybody that wants to travel internationally is to look at your passport, make sure it's in date. It has to it has to have at least six months before it expires on the last day that you are in a foreign country. So it's got to be good six months from the date that you return. Uh, so look at that when you're looking at your passport so you don't run into that issue because they will consider it you know more or less expired if it's if it's outside of six months before um, the expiration date even while you're over there even though it's a good passport and that's kind of a safety thing in case you got stuck or something six months seems like a long time but that's what it is um passports what is the turnaround or the lead time on getting a passport yeah well very good question passports as of now they say about 13 weeks okay um i would like to say if it were me personally i'm going to give it six months um, 13 weeks is four, you know, four, eight, 12, you know, three, just right at about three months. I would prefer to do it about six months out because you never know. During COVID, it was really extended. You don't know when other things can happen or contingencies or whatever it might be. I would really be looking six months out to get my passport renewed if, if I have an expired passport. Yeah. Do, do, does that star ID that they've put on the Alabama licenses? Mark? That doesn't suffice as a passport. No, no, no but, but does that, does that, uh, it, increase or the speed of getting one is is that something you'd want to have you know that that's a question i don't have the answer to i have a star id i don't know that it expedites anything i mean you're in some kind of system so it could um (laughs) when when you send a paperwork off the fact that they see that you are a star id it could it could speed it up i don't know that answer but that's a good question um but i would still look at you know when's my passport expired if we want to take a trip next year and it looks like it's you know got about a year to go i don't want to play around with it. I want to go ahead and get a new one for 10 years. Right. So it's an investment worth making so that you have it. You don't have to worry about being under the gun trying to get your passport. So that's very important. The other thing to be aware of is, uh, uh, you know, the whole flying situation is, uh, you know, that that's probably the worst part of any kind of travel experience is the flying now. And there's a pilot shortage. And worse than that, there's an air traffic controller shortage. And you can't fly planes without air traffic con- control controlling them. And there's a, there's a, there's a um, there are a bunch of air traffic controllers in training, and that's a several year process. So they are behind the gun on we're behind on the number of, of traffic controllers that are needed for the volume of travel that takes place in the United States. Is, so is that a function of COVID? Did that happen during COVID, or is you know it could have been because they weren't training them during COVID. So okay. therefore, there were no new ones coming into it during COVID. So you know COVID's over, and now they're training a bunch of people. And those that retired or came out of it, there weren't new people to replace them. So Makes there's sense. like a two-year backlog, and I think the same thing could be said for the pilots as well. A lot of them retired during COVID, um, and so there wasn't as much of that training going on. Plus, it's just a field where it it's at the point where there's a lot of senior folks that are flying planes that are retiring and there's not enough young ones coming in to take it. So that probably is not as critical right now as the air traffic controller shortage, but it takes both of them to get a plane off the ground. And so that is something everybody needs to be aware of. There could be significant snafus in airports. It's a, you know, you gotta have your patience and be willing to, you know, 
be delayed because there's nothing you can do about that. We all like to be in control. We yeah. want to control our trip, but that's something you have zero control over. You go to the airport and you're totally beholden to, you know, the aircraft, the company that, you know, you're flying with and air traffic controllers and any of those things, the weather, there's things you can't control. So that's something you're going to have to exercise a lot of patience on. But that would be the other big thing is understanding there are delays and could be delays um, and that's just part of the assumed risk. I know some airlines have cut back on routes, but didn't cut back on the volume of people wanting to fly, so therefore you have more people uh, flying, and, and the planes are packed. So um, the flights I've taken over the past couple of years are all totally packed. So that's not always fun either, but that's just part of it. If you're going to travel, you got to deal with that. So those are the two biggies as far as just the overall international travel experience that you got to think about before you ever get there. You get your passport in plenty of time and be willing to deal with some international issues. And I always say you're almost better going through if you're if you're traveling with a tour company or, you know, some kind of international tour, if you let them handle the reservations, they sometimes are quicker at getting things resolved if you have a problem in an airport rather than you personally because you did your own flight um, trying to work it out. So there are some benefits to letting other people organize your travel, travel agents or tour operators or whatever. Um, yeah, are, are, are you better off going with a professional agent versus uh, you know, TripAdvisor.com? I, yeah, or I like whatever. having a, name, a contact person. I mean, yeah. you can get some great deals off the others. I'm not knocking those at all because I have used those. But, um, you know, and, and I'm one of these that I don't really like the tour. I like to do my own personal. I don't like a bunch of people with me when I travel. It's just part of my background. I think you draw less attention when there's less of you. But there are a lot of really good trips out there, and it's almost impossible logistically to, to plan those um, uh, effectively by yourself, you know, with logistics and with, you know, with all the rooms and, and travel and trains and buses or whatever it is. Um, you spend a year just trying to figure all that stuff out. So sometimes it's easier to go on with the tour group. Yeah. And so I don't knock that at all. And if you are, I think it's better to let that group handle your airplane reservation because when there is an issue, they work through the airports or through the, through the, um, uh, travel services and try to get your situation cleared up quicker than sometimes you can do it yourself. And, um, and, and, and as you mentioned, you're, you're seasoned, but if I was to fly overseas, it would be for the first time. Yeah. And I don't have no idea what I'm doing. So yeah. that's not something that you just want to go on the internet. Right. If you've never been over there, if you're not meeting somebody over there that does know the area that, you know, um, I, I would almost recommend doing that. Um, it is, there's an adventure side to trying to figure things out yourself if you have the time and the money and the interest in doing that. Yeah. But if you don't, you've got, I got eight days or 10 days I can go take a trip. I almost think uh, if you don't have the experience and you're going somewhere for the first time, you're probably better off looking at the different tour options that you can uh, yeah. latch on to. And, and they're really uh, trying to entice travelers back overseas for, and, and for Absolutely. honest, for honest and very yeah. good reasons. Yeah. So I've, I've been seeing great deals, yeah. uh, be it on a cruise ship or the, you know, the European tours or whatever, but I imagine the scammers are out there too, uh, you know, doing that too. So I imagine there's, there's situations where you could get into a, a prepay situation. So you got to yeah. do your research. Absolutely. Yeah. Go with reputable companies and it's easy to, you know, Google and find out, you know, the companies that are out there. There's enough people that do traveling. You can talk to almost anybody. A lot of people, have you ever traveled before? Who did you use? And they'll give you a, a yay or a nay on who they used. And if it's a good recommendation, it's probably worth, you know, checking into them. So I always say, you know, get word of mouth recommendations on tour groups. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's all good common sense stuff so far, and it, it, it's just like anything else where we talk about. Uh, 
you'd say, well, yeah, that's, that's good common sense information, but apparently we're not talking about it enough because people are still making mistakes yeah, and doing things. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so I've got my trip planned and I've, I've, I've gone with a reputable group and I think this is where we're going to kind of get into the, the, the real meat and potatoes of this. So I'm planning now to go overseas. Um, and, and like I said, I, I would like to get, get down most of this checklist. So what are the things that I need to prepare to have with me for myself and my family? that you recommend is there, is there a checklist or things that you definitely want to have with you contacts and I mean, those kinds of things yeah you know I uh, first the first thing I think about when I'm traveling somewhere is health okay I want I want to enjoy my I want to enjoy my trip and I certainly don't want to end up in a hospital in another country so um, when I'm thinking about health I think about what are the what are the typical bugs and viruses and things that you can get you know obviously COVID's still out there but um, I've been on trips where I think people had COVID or have COVID and it doesn't really stop them but um, there are other things, you know, upper, upper respiratory, Ig type problems, all the different things that you can think of that you could get from eating the wrong kind of food or drinking something that didn't, you know, the, the water had something in it or you picked up a virus. You know, the, the stuff for um, stomach issues, you know, the respiratory type issues. Uh, a lot of times you can get a prescription from your doctor to deal with, for instance, if you get a really bad infection or a, a lower GI type thing that's really can be really bad overseas. Um, you know, some doctors will prescribe Cipro, which is a really strong antibiotic that they'll prescribe for you to go on the trip. So I always think of those kind of things. What am I going to need so that I don't get sick? And if I do get sick, what can I take? And so I always think about thinking of your health first and well, what are the types of things that you could possibly get when you're overseas and have some kind of medicine that will counter that or that will help you get over it. Um, so that would be the most important thing. I think some people get overseas and they don't think about it and they get sick and they're looking for a local pharmacist and store thing. Get something. You don't want to do that. You just want to have it with you. Uh, when you do bring it over, keep it in the container or the box that it comes in because sometimes if they see loose things like that in your luggage, they'll confiscate it. They don't know what it is. They may question you really hard about what is this, but it needs to be in the packaging that it came in so that you don't hmm. run into that. So that's something important to think about. But think about all the things that affect your health. You can really boost your immune system when you're flying and you're in close quarters and you have all these, uh, all these people around you, if, particularly if it's a really long flight. Um, you can boost your immune system with airborne and these high, con high uh, concentrations of vitamin Z, C and zinc. There's off-store off brands that you can get for that. But um, you can take that while you're on the plane to really boost your immune, and sometimes that helps you. And also, if you end up getting a little bit of a cold or something, you can take that when you start getting the cold, and it will sometimes knock it off really fast. So those are the kinds of things I like to think about right off the bat. The other thing is thinking about what is the country I'm going to. You know, you have a lot. I guess Europe's probably the most uh, the, the, the destination choice for so many people. Um, Mexico, those kind of places. I'm, I'm real leery about traveling to Mexico right now personally. I don't know that I would do it because there are a lot of issues going on in different places there. There are safe areas you can go in Mexico, but I'd be really... I'd, I'd really do your research before you go over there. Even there's been a lot of cartel activity that's spilled over on some resorts, yeah. um, and and you know you think you're safe on a resort, but unfortunately some of that has started spilling over, and so I'm concerned about Mexico. Um, most yeah, of your, yeah. I, I, I was remembering back even years uh, when I went uh, on, on the cruise that we went to and went to Cozumel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and you're fairly safe on a cruise ship, and you're fairly safe in the ports. But I think we went to Cozumel, Grand Cayman, and uh, then Jamaica three different completely different experiences but yeah. I remember Mexico because yeah. even then 20 years ago my wife wanted to do the excursion to go find the Aztecs uh, yeah. and I was like honey 
you don't know me very well. This is your husband you're talking about. You want to get me on a Jeep and go deep into a foreign country where I don't know where I'm headed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also where we don't know who we're dealing yeah. with. Now, we went to Grand Cayman. Didn't really have that problem. Very friendly country. Yeah. Uh, Jamaica was one of those where we got there, and the only time we took an excursion, we found a, a recommended uh, tour guide, and he took us around for the day, but he took us to places, and he offered to take us deeper into the into the, the mountains there where his family was for some really good barbecue. But we would have stayed with him the whole time yeah. and found that found that guide. So they, I, th- I think that is the thing. You get to these uh, some countries and just, you know, there's this assumed, you know, we're safe here because this is a destination port where the ships are landing or those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I think well, I think one thing and that's a good point that you bring up that if you are with an organized cruise or ship, you can book those kind of excursions on the ship, and they typically are pretty good at knowing who they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They're not going to port at a at a stop that there's a real danger. They they have ways that they can divert and do other things. So I think it, you know on, on a cruise line going to Mexico and some of those spots that they stop at, I wouldn't be too concerned about that because again the cruise ships have their own you know um, uh, sources that they pay attention to on safety and those kind of things. And if you're booking things through the cruise, you're probably okay. If you get off the ship and someone comes up to you wanting to book something, I would be really leery of that. Yeah. So um, that but that is a good point. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, you know we're we're talking again again about things to to take with you. I see here, uh, and again, I didn't mean to knock you off your. Well, one thing I will yeah. say though, if you're going to a destination, one thing that I always tell people, you know, we talked about the health, and we talked about what are the immediate things I can do about my safety. Um, I think something that a lot of people don't know about, and particularly if you're going into countries that are a little bit more third worldish, where there could be you know flare ups and things that happen that. They might have to do an extraction or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of the African countries come to mind. But uh, there's a there's an there's a State Department site called Step S T E P. It stands for Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. Okay. S T E P. Super easy to enroll in that. And what that does is that uh, allows the State Department to know exactly your itinerary. You can say, I'm going to be here on these different days. If there were an issue in one of those countries, they're going to, they're going to push out a notification to you. They'll have, you, know, you can give them a cell phone number, your email, whatever is best for you to get messages while you're gone. And so, so that's definitely a, a, a pre-trip checklist. It is make pre-trip. Sure, you make, need to you make need sure to I get on the before. step. Yeah, make sure I get S-T-E-P, on the step. State okay. Department, go to the State Department's types, type in step. You know, safe to, uh, State Department off Google, whatever. Yeah. You'll get to the program. You enroll in it. You tell them what countries you're going to, what's the date you're going to be there. And then I've, I use it, you know, when I go to Uganda and when I've been even to Greece a couple of years ago. Um, and I've gotten notifications. I've been to South Sudan, too, and I had it for that. And I've, I still get notifications about what's going on in these countries, which is kind of neat to see what's happening. But when you're over there, if something's happening, they'll tell you where this is happening and you know what to avoid so that you're aware that hey i'm in a country where this is happening somewhere else in the country and it may be right where you are but if there were something that happened where they had to get you out of there the state department can quickly identify hey here's x amount of people that we know are in this country right now and here's their contact we can give them instructions on how to get out um you know state department as far as a source of intel and real good information about what's going on in countries um not it's not my favorite um but if there is something major happening, they're pretty good at knowing that there is something happening. Um, and the STEP program, from what I know, seems to work pretty well. So it, it, it's the best thing out there probably to keep somebody in the United States aware of, of where you're traveling if there were an emergency that they had to get you out. So. Right. And uh, you've got a contingency plan note here about, uh, about money. Uh, 
So, so again, we're, we're in the pre, we're in the preparatory phase of our trip. What do we need to think about as far as money? Yeah, goes? money. You know, um, I prefer to use plastic uh, credit card. Most every place takes that, but they don't all. Again, it depends on the country. If you're in one of the normal European countries, most everybody's going to take a credit card. Um, people, I, I always like to have some cash in some of the currency of the country I'm going to before I get there. You can do ATM exchanges. You can go to banks and get exchanges. But typically, there's a transaction fee for exchanging overseas. So you're going to pay a little bit. Well, you may pay 7 or 10 bucks when you go to the ATM to get 100 100 euros out of the ATM, there's going to be a transaction fee. Um, you could get the euros if you're thinking ahead enough here in the country. I think I think AAA will do that if you're a member. Mm-hmm. And your banks, a lot of the banks can get hold of that money, but they can't get it right away. Sometimes they have to order the money. So, you know, you need to plan a couple months out if you really want to take currency for that country over there. Um, when people say, how much money do I need to take? You know, I like to say $200. Um of your own money that you could change over there, and maybe it's a mix of partially the other country's currency and your money, just so that you have some of yours and some of theirs, and that gets you through the first day or two if you're, you know, you're needing cash. Um, and then what you do if you have a lot of lex- uh, leftover euros and all, you kind of pace it. You know, I got four more days over here. Let me buy a few meals with my le- my money I have so that I'm not taking home a bunch of euros. So there's ways that you can have that and, and, and still util, use the money even if you weren't planning on using that much cash so that you're not going home with a bunch of leftover, you know, euros or currency from whatever the country is. So, yeah. Oh, and one other thing I'll say is ATM scams are more prevalent overseas. Go to banks, go inside banks and use the ATMs inside the bank. Hmm. Try to avoid the street ATMs. If you do go to an ATM on a street, make sure one of your buddies or somebody's with you that is standing kind of behind you so that somebody can't see the number you're typing in and that it's also a protection thing so that they're looking at other people that might be looking at you. But never go to an ATM by yourself in another country. Okay. All right, I, th- I think on the, uh, and I said that there may be some more pre, you know, checklist here for, uh, you know, again, again for family or whatnot, but just just to step on the cyber side since this, this is a cyber show, uh, you, know, you know, the equipment that you want to take overseas, we were talking about that just, you know, before we went live with this, um, we always recommend not taking, uh, you know, laptops or anything that would have any sensitive data. In fact, if you're going to, take, you know, go overseas and want to buy, uh, you know, an, uh, an iPad or something to take, uh, because the first thing is that there's no, uh, uh, there's no privacy. There's no sense of privacy when you land overseas. They can, they, they can immediately seize, especially if you go to a country that's not very friendly with us for whatever reason, they can immediately seize uh, all of your electronics yeah, uh, un, un, under the guise of we need to inspect yeah. this. But then while they've got it, in fact, the, uh, you know, the, they, 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 they can tamper with it. Then come into your hotel rooms. There's cases there. I've seen some great FBI presentations where videos were, were, were taken uh, where, uh, you know, the, the team would come in and, you know, and, and be the housekeeping people and a guy in a suit. And they're looking through, you know, everything that's there. But uh, the FBI... As a matter of fact, and I think this may be referenced on the, on the step site, but the FBI here at the local office will, if you if you have to go overseas for business, they they will actually uh, open your laptop up and photograph it for you. Uh, and they have found cases where they come back and screws are turned, you wow. know, and things yeah. like that. Um, you know, once you get over there, then there's the, a lot of things about staying off the Wi-Fi and using your own VPN. And I, I do want to talk about that more, but uh, it is just the I mean, I mean, even your phone. These 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 are valuable devices overseas. Uh, but you know, you certainly want to take and be able to communicate and have pictures. But you want to make sure that you've removed anything sensitive off yeah. of there because that device you know, can easily be taken or seized by by authorities. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and you said a few things there that are, are, are really good things for me to come back on regarding you said, you know, securing it in a hotel room. I, I, I personally, I personally never use a hotel safe. Uh, some people do and they promote, hey, we have a safe in the hotel, but hey, if you, what happens when you forget the combination? Somebody from the hotel comes and opens it up with their own key. That's so they're not, they're not at all secure. Anybody can get into that. Any employee of the hotel can pretty much get into that safe. So I never, your, your passport is your ticket home. I, I maintain positive control of my passport um, or my shop records or anything I might need in that country. Uh, on my person, when I say positive control, it's like what we used to do in the military with, you know, handling classified top secret, those kind of things, positive control. You're always feeling it. It's on you. It's never left by itself anywhere. It's the same thing with a passport. I'm feeling it on me day and night, even in the sleeping. I mean, it's in something yeah. where it's never sitting on a table or anything. Um, so uh, I would never put it in a hotel safe. When you go out to sightseeing, do other things, have it with you. Um, that's your ticket home, and you can't lose that. Regarding passports, one other thing, make a photocopy, colored copy of the front of the passport that has your picture and the data of, you know, when it expires and all that on it. Take a, take a photocopy picture of that front page of the passport with you and keep a color copy with somebody back home. If you lost your passport, uh, you want to be able to provide, you know, the consular with a color copy version, it's a lot easier to get your passport replaced if it's in color and you've got an actual copy of it. And if for some reason you didn't have a copy, you have someone at home that does that can get it overseas to you. So always make a copy of your passport, leave it with somebody, take another copy with you and put it somewhere away from you. If you're out and about, it's sitting in a bag in your hotel, you know, in some kind of safe uh, folder or compartment of your bag or backpack or whatever. So um, always do that. The other thing, you, know, you mentioned the, the, the phones. I take a phone with me because it is my camera. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, they take better pictures than cameras do from what I've seen traveling, so I like to use it as a camera. I think taking data off that is not that you can take off and pull back on is important if you can do that. Um, a VPN to me is very important. If you don't have a VPN, uh, boy, I should know the acronym, Virtual Protocol Network. Virtual yeah. Private Network. Yeah. Right? Private Network, yeah. Um, that keeps... That keeps your identity safe, basically, because it doesn't um, it, 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 it it pings off servers in other countries from where you're actually at, or other servers in a country that you're at that's not you. So um, it keeps your information safer than about anything out there having a VPN. I re I recommend it for here. I have my phone has. Oh one. yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think VPNs are very important if you do take your phone um, and purses and wallets. You talked about wallets and how they can you know they can get your data without taking your phone. Well, they can also get your credit card numbers and all. Just they have devices that can suck it out of your pocket, you know, without it ever coming out of your pocket. They can get your data. And so there are wallets and purses mm -hmm. that have uh, the, the lead coating or the, I don't think they call it lead, but there's a coating on it that keeps the signals from, you know, being compromised yeah. uh, that you can buy. In yeah. most travel stores, you can look online and get a lot of that kind of stuff that is, keeps yeah. your stuff safe when it's just... Well, I, I, I think it goes back to, to what you said earlier about you not wanting to be in a big group being a tourist, but understanding that when you do come into a country... Um, you are you're you're going to. I mean, we have that same technology here. There's yeah. RF scanners here, right. but there you're in a target-rich environment because they yeah. know where you're at. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you come off that cruise ship, they know it's a bunch of Americans. They that have a lot of you know. There's a lot of money. They're all rich, according to you know foreigners. Yeah. They think everybody's got money. So, but um, but, but if I was going to sit there with an RF scanner and figure out where where, where do I want to be today to get the most exactly. traffic, I would be yep. sitting at the end of the pier. Yep. With a you know a, 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 I might even have a, even be selling umbrellas or whatever, yeah. but I have my little RF scanner going the whole Absolutely. time picking. They it know up. exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're right. All right, we're we're at a break point here, and I hate to 
to break the momentum, but I'm, I need to. Okay. Uh, I, I, I need to uh, go ahead and do this. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this first part because I think we're going to run an hour with this easy. Uh, yeah. th th this is really going well. Uh, but uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning into part one. We're going to get part two up probably in a week or two. So so definitely come back and look for that. We're going to continue on talking about now. Once you've gotten to the foreign country, we've got the list of things to do and not do there. Plus talking about some of the hot spots and. Uh, and, and, and then what to do if, 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 if a worst-case scenario begins to unfold. So, so we, we're going to be back with Doug Wilson with Counter Threat Group. Um, and, I, of course, I'm Russ Dorsey with uh, Cyber Matters, part of the Kasuf Podcast Network. <laughs>